It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Isn't that a huge contrast in afternoon temperatures within the one uh, county? If you're by the uh, coast, anywhere along the south coast, temperatures into double digits, 10 to 11 degrees. Uh, whereas as you go further inland and certainly around parts of North Cork and West Limerick, uh, temperatures this afternoon will be best if they'll go to between 2 and 3 degrees. And more than 10 centimetres of snow is expected to fall in parts of the country uh, today and uh, tomorrow. And that is going to lead. Already we're hearing reports of some hazardous driving conditions. So do be very, very careful. And there's already been school closures uh, mainly in the Limerick and West Limerick areas. Met air in a warning that until this weekend, accumulations of snow are expected right across the country. And also, of course, we've got this icy conditions everywhere. Now, there's a yellow warning for snow and ice that remains in place for the entire country. And that runs out at 11 o'clock tonight. Then there is a second snow and ice warning, which runs until 7 o'clock Friday morning. But that's mainly for the Leinster area. And then there's a third weather warning for low temperature and ice. And that runs nationwide from 9 o'clock tonight until 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. The wintry downpours uh, are moving northwest across the country, but they're moving from the southwest through uh, this morning. So Met Aaron are saying by this evening and tonight there's a chance of more widespread lying snow and that will continue early into tomorrow morning. There's also a wind chill factor which will mean temperatures, while they'll they'll dip below zero but with the wind chill it'll feel like minus seven degrees in some uh, areas and they will be slow to improve due to sub-zero overnight temperatures. They're saying lows for most places around minus four degrees. So tomorrow morning, Friday, could be treacherous on the roads in some areas with ice and if there's any lying snow Friday itself then we'll see drier weather but temperatures again uh, won't go very high to to 5 degrees so just be careful when you are out and about and I know Cork County Council have issued us with an update on road conditions and they are saying motorists need to drive with extreme caution on roads around Canturk, Newmarket, Ballydesmond Fremont, Liscarra, Dromina and uh, Charleville and that was following snow uh, 
showers earlier this morning and I know Mary Nimerick was already on to us to say roads in part of Limerick are absolutely lethal. She was citing for example she saw trucks jackknifing in Barna near Newcastle West so please be careful and say there are a number of schools in areas where I know we have listeners like Drumcolour or Newcastle West where schools have already uh, closed uh, this morning so just keep an eye on the updated weather reports particularly if you need to travel and if you come across any tricky driving conditions let us know. It's always great to share that information with other listeners who might be considering making a journey because it definitely, the county, there's contrasts across the county where some areas where it's fine, while it might just be a wet uh, morning, uh, but other areas then are battling really treacherous driving conditions. 0818 103 103. If there's anything you want to share with us, John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The ban on evictions and homelessness very much still making all of the papers today and it's probably one of the main uh, topics that's up for up for uh, discussion within the doll as well and, and I saw that the Taoiseach uh, Leo Varadkar he was referencing the latest homelessness report from January of this year and he was pointing out that almost 40% of the people in emergency accommodation are who are deemed homeless are not Irish uh, citizens. He was saying the latest report from January sh- showed that 61% of people who are in emergency accommodation, these are now people in the main who are living in hotels and bed and breakfast, he said 61% of them are Irish, 22% of them are from the European economic uh, area are from the UK and then 17% of them are from outside the, uh, the EU. He was speaking to reporters yesterday, this was outside government buildings, And Leo Varadkar was saying that it is factually incorrect for people to say that the government is doing more to house refugees than it is to house Irish citizens. And I know yesterday, again, when we were raising the issue of the ban on evictions and when we were talking about, you know, people who were really terrified of becoming homeless because we know that the emergency accommodation, we know the hotels and the B&Bs that are providing accommodation for people who can't find a place to uh, rent, we know they are already stretched as it is. And inevitably, we got calls and texts in yesterday from people saying, we're looking after Ukrainian refugees, we're looking after asylum, Seekers, why are we now? Why are we not looking after uh, the Irish? So, Leah Varadkar wanted to dispel that myth, and he says, "What we are doing for the Ukrainians, and what we are doing for people who are here seeking international protection, the asylum seekers, is probably," he said, "less." than what we're doing for Irish people who are registered as homeless. He said, you know, unfortunately, there are people seeking international protection who have arrived here who were not able to offer accommodation to. And that's been happening since the middle of January. The last time I checked that figure, it's gone over 200 people who came here looking for uh, looking for asylum who are sleeping rough because they literally there's no accommodation for them. And he, he said when he was talking about Ukrainians, he said, by and large, what we are offering Ukrainian refugees who are who are arriving? We are offering them accommodation in hotels and B and Bs. He said it's not great, but he said it's the best that we can do. But he said this notion that somehow we're doing more for people from abroad than we are doing for our Irish citizens, he said, is just just isn't factually correct. And then the integration minister Roderick O'Gorman 
he has already indicated that the first tranche of modular homes for Ukrainians that that is yet again being delayed. He's now saying it mightn't be until early May that they can move into any of those modular homes. The department first expected hundreds of Ukrainians to have moved into the modular homes, which we refer to and many people refer to as rapid build homes. They were due to move in last November. Then it got delayed until March. March is here. They still haven't moved in. Then there was talks of the moving in in April. But now Roderick O'Gorman coming out yesterday and saying they're now looking at early May. He's confirmed that five significant hotels who are accommodating people seeking international protection will end their contracts this month. So that means at the start of April, there will be about 1,600 asylum seekers who will have to be moved. Roderick O'Gorman said he couldn't say yet where the refugees would be moved to. He said, I think it's fair to say that people may have to move and that obviously has impacts, particularly when there's family involved and if they're not able to find accommodation in the immediate area, they're going to have to move somewhere else and that means children who've maybe settled into schools having to move to a different school and he says it's causing problems for everyone, particularly for families, but he said we have to be upfront, we have to tell them the realities, we have to tell them the pressures we're under and this is where the government find themselves and the Department of Integration find themselves at the moment. Rodrigo Gorman said the modular housing is still under construction and it's under construction in five sites, including, he's mentioned one in Cork, have units in place. And I'm assuming he's talking about the one in Maham. He says he thinks Ukrainians will move into those rapid build homes towards the end of April, but it's now looking like early May. And then Leo Varadkar started talking about modular homes and he says they will also be used to accommodate people who are homeless and who are on the social housing list. Because I know when they looked at a site in Mallow to put in modular homes and it was to be for Ukrainian refugees, local people who were objecting were saying, if you're putting modular homes in there, why don't you use it for people who are on the housing list? And there was some people who have been on the housing list for 10 years and more. And initially the modular housing that's currently been built and put in place is all for Ukrainian refugees. But now Leo Varadkar is saying, no, we could look at modular homes to take people who are on the council's housing list around the country and offer them modular homes instead. But then he said there needs to be a bit of a reality check when it comes to modular homes and the construction of these modular homes. He firstly pointed out that they're not cheap to construct. He says they they can't be just put in place in a matter of weeks or months. The site needs to be serviced, electricity needs to be put in, water, gas and he said it isn't a quick fix solution and of course as we discovered in Mallow, they went in and they were there for a number of weeks looking at a site and then it turned out the site wasn't suitable for modular homes so all the work that was done in there had to be stopped uh, and then they t- obviously then if that was to be used say for the council they would have gone in and looked at that site and said no that site isn't suitable so it looks like not all sites are suitable for these modular homes and that it isn't a quick fit uh, solution there's a lot of work goes in and aren't we already seeing it when we're looking at the modular homes that they started certainly the back end of last summer when we were looking at people being able to move into them in November and here we are they didn't move in November 
December, January, February, March and it's looking like April. So it looks like there was even delays on those of six months. So they're certainly not the quick fix solution that a number of people think they are. But Leo Varadkar wanting to point out that everything that they are trying to do looking after the Irish is being done and that it is wrong for people to say that people from other country countries are being looked after better than the Irish. Dan says, Patricia, imagine the guaranteed to be homeless in April, uh, the people who, who we know are going to be homeless when the eviction ban ends. Imagine how they felt last night when they were listening to Leo Varadkar, our Taoiseach. God, help us. That Leo Varadkar last night, according to Dan, said that the corner will be turned in the next year when 40,000 new uh, bills will be established in this country. Will they be finished by April? No, of course they won't. They won't. Dan said, I have a suggestion. The government should offer one year rent payment in advance, tax free, to prevent evictions this year. Uh, they could consider this on the basis of the amount of ventilators, 3,000 ventilators that they bought that they didn't uh, need. Actually, yeah, I was hoping to do a piece on the, the ventilators. That was a shocking story that came out from the, the pandemic at a cost of 150 um, million ventilators that they never used and I know the argument uh, will be that they panicked at the start of the pandemic and you know we were looking at scenes coming out of Italy where they didn't have enough uh, ventilators so there was this this panic to buy as many ventilators as they could but certainly the HSE way overbought on the number of ventilators that we eventually uh, needed and it's 150 million euro of a waste on uh, ventilators but that's not a bad suggestion Dan. Uh, I can't see the government picking up on it but it's certainly uh, I know the point you're making. If somebody is saying to their tenants, uh, we need you out because we're going to sell the house. We want to get out of being landlords. And we know there's a lot of people are considering that because house prices, they think it's a good time to sell a house. People don't think there's too much red tape involved in being a landlord. And also many landlords are saying because of the amount they're taxed on the money that they make from the rent, it's just not paying them to stay on as landlords. So if the government are saying to people, uh, we're going to have all these houses built at the end of the year, but you're going to have to wait at least a year. So while you're waiting, we'll pay your rent for you. Give it to the landlord and the landlord won't have to pay tax on it. The incentive from Dan being that the landlord then would stay on as a landlord because he's not paying, he or she is not paying a tax on the money. Can't see it happening, but it's not a bad suggestion, Dan. And I think any sort of suggestion that comes in to help people stay in their homes and I know Threshold is saying I think it's about 1,500 people have a valid notice to quit so there are 1,500 households who know that come the 1st of April between the 1st of April and sometime in June they know they're going to have to vacate their properties they won't all have to leave on the same date it's going to be staggered between April and June but there are 1,500 families and individuals who will be looking for accommodation at a time when only yesterday we mentioned there was only a little over a thousand homes available for rent nationwide. Uh, So we've got a major, major problem coming down the tracks. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. This week, while discussing the government's decision to end the ban on evictions, we heard from many couples who are trapped in the private rental market and see no hope of ever being able to buy their own home. So to talk about the issues facing so many people trying to purchase a house, I'm joined by David Hall of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Patricia. David, I saw you quoted as saying people are worn out by the process. What, what are you hearing from people? 
I think when many, many people of us trying to, you know, trying to aspire to own their own home and we have a good, proud, intentional plan in Ireland to have people own their own home and obviously housing is a basic housing need that many people need and, and want to buy their own home and we have the prudential rules the Central Bank have changed to allow um, to allow banks, uh, allow four times the uh, someone's income be available as a mortgage but that's not the simple policy, that's not just one part, there's only one part of a policy that's quite complex, that is a whole host of other considerations and one of those considerations obviously is the cost of living and how much it costs you to live and how much money you will have available to pay any potential mortgage you might get from any bank and obviously all of those numbers have done nothing in the last 12 months but increase, causing great uncertainty and you know, breaking bank calculator when it comes to trying to find out how much you can pay. So it's very, very deeply frustrating. Anybody who's bought a house, Patricia, will know. And indeed, anyone who's applied for mortgage will know it is not for the faint-hearted. And with supply being so low, with the rules changing, with income changing uh, and, and expenditure changing, which are, which are amount of cost of living, it's a very, very difficult environment and really has people worn, worn out. I mean, is it possible for you to say, on average, how much does a couple have to be earning in order to be considered for a mortgage? What's what's well, the it, average? It, it, the average, I think, the average figures recently shown, like you know, that you're you're there's and again, single people are completely discriminated against in relation to the context, be it separated or single people, um, on the basis that obviously you're only being benchmarked against one income. And and the rules, I think, it's fair to say, first position, the rules that were, were established were established after the crash to try and make sure we didn't have what happened before, which was a casino and a free for all where banks, based on bonuses, were giving out money to people who were willingly happy to take it, but were also given money. They were the regulated entity, the banks were, not the individual customers. And um, they took too much and were given too much and borrowed too much and were lent too much. And the rules were changed by the central bank correctly and wisely to, even though it frustrates the hell out of people, to try and prevent that ever happening again. So, like many people now, depending on the loan you need to get is Three and, three and a half times is the old rate and yeah. four times is now. But I think many people would advise to calculate on the basis of three and a half times. Like if you're looking at buying a house for €200,000 and finding a house for €200,000 means the income for the, sal- the salary income is going to have to be 50000 minus living expenses and costs. And then you're going to have to come up with a 20% deposit. Like It is not for the faint-hearted. And now you're competing in an environment where... You might be at the pin of your collar bidding on a house of two hundred or two hundred and fifty thousand, where others have a capacity to bid up to three hundred thousand. So it's a very, very difficult, very, very stressful situation, very, very uncertain. Many people hovering around their phones waiting for auctioneers to ring them to hear back on the, has their offer been accepted or has somebody else gazumped them and gone in at a higher offer and they ding dong around there's obviously mistrust with banks, there's mistrust with auctioneers, there's mistrust with people selling, there's a whole host of challenges in that environment. So it's a very, very difficult, very, very stressful environment. But the, the, the level the level of supply is so, so difficult at the moment. That's um, the big problem, yeah. That is, it really and, is, because you're then, bidding against yourself. Yeah, and I, and I know people who contacted us when we started talking about this during the week were talking about, you know, paying very, very high rents uh, and therefore hard to save and try and scrape a deposit uh, together. Do the banks take in rent history as part of the process? See, the, the only... The only policy that we know publicly that the bank considers, many have given snippets during different interviews they've done, very few interviews they've done. Um, and the only one they, that we know of, and the one that everyone anchors their commentary and conversation on, is four times this salary. And there's a whole host of other considerations. I spoke to somebody the other day who was um, asked by a bank um, that they, their policy was that at the end of all of the expenses being paid out and the rent being paid out, they would prefer there to be an additional €1,100 Euros a month spare. So different banks have different 
policies in relation to it. Some considered a rental income, uh, rental payments, and and they, they showed them as a as a pattern of positive payments. But the difficulty yeah. with those paying rent is those paying rent haven't had the capacity to save a lot yeah. because of the levels of rent. And this, they're all they're all interlinked. And that's where the challenges come. So the, the, you go onto a website now and find those printed policies. They'll give you very vague references to what they do. Um, it is secretive to a certain degree. Um, but they do. many of the lenders do consider your history in relation to paying rent. Okay. Um, because, because the, you know, the ultimate irony is for people who are paying high rents, if they had actually, if they had purchased the property that they're paying the rent on, the mortgage would be less, wouldn't it, than what they're paying out every month in rent? Yeah, and that's the, that's the single biggest uh, conundrum and it's the most frustrating one for everybody. And, you know, the, the historical phase that used to go with that, Patricia, was people would say, well, rent is dead money. And, yeah. and our problem our problem in Ireland is very important to mention. One of the reasons we have in Ireland is when people start mentioning about renting, we don't have certainty with renting. Like someone says, oh, well, in Germany, many people rent. And we, 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 we there was a slight criticism of people here wanting to own their own home. But remember, wanting to own your own home is a perfectly logical um, aspiration. But also it's very aspirational in the current climate because of all the challenges are there. But it's very, very logical because you've got people who are renting on short-term rent for a year, two years. A landlord might might um, want to sell legitimately their property or something might happen, your family might outgrow its size and shape. So there's a whole host of challenges in Germany. Someone turned around and said, oh yeah, but in Germany we rent. Yeah, but you get a 30-year guaranteed mm. lease with uh, indexed uh, rent reviews forecast for the 30 years. So de facto you get a mortgage. At the end of it you don't own the property but you have absolute certainty. Renters in Ireland have zero certainty at the moment. It is a completely chaotic system. What's your view, David, on the ending of the eviction ban? Right or wrong move? Oh, wrong move. Uh, Horrifically wrong move and a known goal and one one that will come back to haunt the government and um, I would work closely and have a lot of work and done a lot of work with Dara Bryan and deem him um, a very, very sincere uh, minister. I think the rushed too soon in relation to this. Those who don't pay rent, Patricia, uh, and those who are antisocial behaviour should be evicted in the morning. That's, this, that's not what this is about. This is about making sure that people have homes that are there. Uh, the landlords should have been protected, should have been supported. This is not an anti-landlord thing. This is, uh, landlords are actually an integral part of this. And anyone who thinks jumping up and down and giving out about landlords is helpful, actually isn't helpful. Many people, and I spoke to one of the vulture funds yesterday, who was a significant number of buy-to-let loans, loans involving landlords. And um, many of them have indicated them they're going to sell. So a lot of damage has been done by the eviction ban. It was necessary. Um, you know, you have to listen to the to the complete synchronisation and uniformity of all of the housing and homeless charities all expressing the same concern. You can't just ignore that. We have all organisations doing that, yet only one body was in favour of lifting the ban of the landlords. You have to be concerned in relation to that. I would be deeply concerned that this is the wrong move. I think a lot of changes could have been made to accelerate the eviction of people who deserved it and to- zero tolerance in relation to people who are not acting fairly and honestly and openly. And then obviously for those landlords who need, there should be tax breaks for landlords. People don't like saying landlords should get tax breaks. I can tell you categorically, I haven't spoken to many of them. I 100% believe that many of them are under major pressure. And you've got to remember, we just spoke about interest rates and getting a mortgage and all that goes with that. All the bite less mortgages where the landlords are paying are going up. Many of them are with vulture funds. Those interest rates are going up, yet they're trapped in rent pressure zones. So there's a fairness here. This is, there needs to be fairness. Yeah, and, an and many, yeah, and many landlords have been vilified. And that, it, like, it's not fair. This isn't the landlords. 
No, there's a handful of landlords who are bad landlords. Yeah. There's a handful of tenants are bad tenants. Yeah. Surely in 2023, an intelligent democracy can come up with a plan that protects the 95% of both categories that are good. Mm. Mm. And if we can't, it's an abject failure. And doing what we've done in relation to policy around the eviction ban uh, doesn't help anybody. Those people who are bad tenants prior to the eviction ban are still bad tenants. Yeah. Those landlords that were bad landlords before the eviction ban are still bad landlords. That's not going the to change. The eviction ban was brought in those circumstances haven't changed. So why in God's name do you bring in an eviction ban? Nothing changes. Your homeless numbers increase and you remove the eviction ban. That's an illogical process, in my view. And those who are um, lucky enough to have mortgages, uh, mortgages at the moment, the rising interest rates, are, David, are they starting to have an effect uh, on people with mortgages? Yeah, the, 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 so when the crash happened, many people just fell off the edge of a cliff and went into mortgage arrears. Um, and now we're just seeing a situation where people are going into what's called pre-arrears, where they can see the difficulties ahead. And um, it's causing great difficulty. The cost of living, fuel, food, heating, transport, everything is gone up. And, you know, academically, people will say, oh, inflation's gone up by 9.2%. You know, people see that in that 75 cent on a coffee. 75 cents on a coffee is not 9.2%. 75% of coffee is 20%. And many people are feeling it. And the interest rates have gone up now. And many people had a little bit of a buffer, had a little bit of a comfort zone. But the people with mortgages who've been paying them and it's doing as they were asked to do are now having to pay a lot more for everything, not just a mortgage. Yeah, and yeah. starting to cause a squeeze. And they feel that they're paying for everything. And in the last mini-budget that was released, nothing was there for mortgage holders. No interest relief, no uh, payment of any shape or form, where everybody else seems to be getting some semblance support. And deservedly so. It's not about them and us. And we need to be very, very careful, like the landlords and tenants, that we do not get into a situation when people are under pressure of having a them and us situation. You have to be able to help those who deserve and need help. But you also have to be able to deal with those who are messers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. And and actually, somebody is suggesting, particularly when it comes to buying a property, the derelict um, or the rundown property and the and the scheme and the grants that are available. Should more people look at those to purchase a property? Yeah, no, they should do. But when you mention the word grant, because um, there's bureaucracy involved in this that is is mind boggling. Oh no! I, I would respectfully say to you, uh, Patricia, that you know. I would be very interested to know between the various approved housing bodies and indeed the local authorities how many vacant properties they have. It is not automatic. You would not believe that if I have a property empty as an approved housing body in Cork, that doesn't mean Cork local authority. And I'm only using them as a, as a random example. Yeah. I'm not saying this is the case. There's no guarantee they would put somebody in that property on Monday morning. That could take three weeks to occupy. There is no sense of urgency when we have an emergency and a crisis, and it's completely unforgivable that the same effect that happened during COVID hasn't happened with an ongoing housing crisis. The same arms in the state aren't brought together to be able to ensure that everything moves much faster to have an individual impact on people who are housed. It's unforgivable. Yeah, that's a good point you made. We, we, we proved the powers that be can do it uh, during COVID when they need to act and act uh, quickly. And there just never seems to be a sense of urgency when it comes to housing. And uh, I, if I was to open the phone lines about what the council called voids, the empty houses, uh, I'd be swamped for the day with people giving me yeah, searching that's, examples. That's, but that's, that's criminal. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's disgraceful. Like yeah. I'm talking about approved housing bodies who are, who are waiting to occupy the place but the councils haven't got them off the backside. Yeah. 
to predominate people. And so it's completely, completely unacceptable to have 11,500 people who are homeless and looking for housing in an emergency accommodation where we talk about holiday homes being vacant. Forget the holiday homes. How many homes are available for social housing that are empty? And get people That's the into greatest disgrace of get, all. Get people in them. All right, uh, David. Pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Thanks, and thanks for joining care. us. That is uh, David Hall of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, I will return to the issue of housing, but I want to move to a different topic because this week the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, brought proposals to Cabinet for a survivor-led scoping inquiry into allegations of historical sexual abuse in schools run by religious orders. The inquiry will be supported by the charity One in Four. And joining me is their CEO, Maeve Lewis. Good morning to you, Maeve. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, great to talk to you. Would you agree with Minister um, Norma Foley this week who said it's almost impossible to give a figure on the number of survivors of historical sexual abuse at our schools? Um, I think the Minister is right, Patricia, partly because many survivors um, don't come forward. Uh, you know, we, we've met say, since November when this this current scandal broke We've met well over 100 survivors of abuse in religious-run schools and many of them, most of them indeed, have never told anyone, not their wives, not their um, parents, not friends. Um, people are often left with a feeling of deep shame, um, feeling you know, personally tarnished by the experience and therefore don't come forward. Now, we do know that since November, about 130 people have uh, approached the Gardaí We've certainly met well over 100 people. And over the years, there are many, many more people um, who we have supported, in particular men who were sexually abused in Christian Brother-run schools, which will also be included in this inquiry. But it's almost impossible to estimate how many people will actually decide to engage with this process. It's it's just dreadful to think of people who, you say, have never spoken about it and they because of shame and they all, I'm, I'm assuming at times they almost feel that they are responsible. So, I mean, it really brings home, doesn't it, that even though the abuse happened many, many, many years ago, but the impact on somebody's life remains with them forever. That's right. Well, that that's for I mean, I've no doubt that some survivors um, manage through various life experiences, perhaps to leave that past behind. But certainly the people we meet, um, their entire lives have been contaminated by that experience. They're left, as I've said, with feelings of deep shame, um, very low self-esteem, um, a lot of distress, anger, fear, and a terror that other people will find out what's happened to them and make a judgment about them, or indeed that they won't be believed. So I'm assuming your message now, Maeve, is to encourage survivors to please get involved in this process. You will be believed. Absolutely. And, you know, this, I mean, I really commend uh, the Minister Norma Foley for setting up a process that is really victim-focused. The survivors are very central to this process. And this is um, a very unique opportunity, really, for survivors to have their voice heard into what should happen next. Uh, people are being asked to make contact, um, either by phone or uh, an online questionnaire, uh, to register their interest in taking part in this scoping exercise. Um, th- th- uh, they will not be required to go into detail about what happened 
to them. Um, they'll be invited to meet either individually or in group settings purely to state what it is they feel should happen now, how um, a formal inquiry, whatever form it may take, um, should be developed. Uh, so it's really important that people feel free to, to engage. Um, it may seem very daunting and one at one in four we've worked with the Department of Education and we can provide advocacy support, uh, which means we can talk to people, explain the process, give them all the information they need to make a decision whether or not to engage in this process. And then we can um, accompany them if they decide to go and meet with one of the facilitators. Well done, you'll be there, be there to support them because I'm very much thinking of those people who have never spoken before or as you say have never shared it uh, with anyone it's going to be particularly hard for them Yes I think it is and um, again it's really important that people realise there is support out there for them it's not something I think that people should um, undertake on their own be it engaging in this process or for example if they decide they want to make a complaint to the Gordhi, um at one in four we can provide the support they need to do that in a safe way um, but undoubtedly, all the media coverage, all the discussion will have re-triggered a lot of very painful and traumatic memories for people. Uh, so if you are one of those people, if you have been abused, um, and it will also have an impact on people who are abused in different settings. But my, um, I suppose I would urge you to reach out for support to one and four, to rape crisis centres all over the country to the National Counselling Service you know there is help available and it's really important to stress that with that expert help people do really make um, a good recovery and are able to move on from that experience. And, you, and you've seen that Maeve at one in four? We see it all the time you yeah. know um, Patricia I'm a psychotherapist myself um, and I continue to see a small number of clients um, each week and you know, it can be a tough and painful journey. It can take time. Uh, typically, people are with us for about two years in our psychotherapy programme. But we really do see how availing of that, you know, solid uh, therapy, therapeutic support really helps people uh, to understand the impact the abuse has had on their lives and then to help people move on to live I suppose more fulfilling lives um, and that's really it's a wonderful thing to see Well done well, well, well done How long do you expect this scoping inquiry to take? The Minister has suggested um, that the uh, report should be submitted by Christmas so that's about eight months uh, but that will really depend on the numbers of people who come forward Okay and then what will happen at the end of it? Well recommendations will be made to the Minister um, I mean at one in four we believe that this issue really needs and deserves a statutory inquiry so that documents and witnesses can be compelled to give evidence. Um, a non-statutory inquiry could mean that, as we've seen in the past, religious congregations dragging their feet um, and being reluctant maybe to give full disclosure of what happened, how it happened, who knew and so on. So I think that's important. But obviously we'll have to wait and see yeah. what the recommendations are. And I suppose it's also important, you know, survivors are not um, a homogenous group. They won't all have the same ideas about what should happen. So perhaps inevitably people may be disappointed um, 
with the recommendations, but we need to wait and see what they are. OK, the religious orders, will they be taking part in the scoping inquiry or...? I'm sure. Um, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. But it is geared mainly at the survivors okay. and um, other experts in the field will be consulted. Okay. And I suppose the most important thing at the end of all of this is that we learn so that it can never happen again. Well, that's true, Patricia. I think you know um, the main focus of any formal inquiry should be to explore the factors that can exist in an organisation, and it could be any organisation, that facilitates sexual predators to operate. And to also, I suppose, explore the dynamics that operate so that people, the bystanders, are silenced. Like, I, it was an astounding interview last week regarding abuse in um, Turing Your College. And lots of the past pupils actually saw boys being abused. Mm were present when the abuse happened, knew of the abuse, but were silenced, felt unable to tell. And likewise, there must have been adults in that position too. So what goes on that silences the bystanders and what supports need to be put in place in any organisation, be it a sporting organisation, a school or wherever, to support people who are concerned or uneasy to come forward. And that's ultimately how we protect children. Okay, listen, continue. Good luck. You do amazing work in one and four. And no doubt we will speak uh, more on this particular topic. But Maeve, we we really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you for that. Good morning to you. That is uh, Maeve Lewis, uh, CEO of One in uh, Four with that appeal uh, to and encouraging anyone who was a survivor of uh, sexual abuse in school. Please uh, reach out and take part in that scoping inquiry. And One in Four there are an amazing organisation. They certainly will be there, as Maeve said, to support anybody through the process. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The final two days left for our drive time competition this week with Martina who's been gathering qualifiers all of this week and tomorrow she gives away a top prize of a two-night stay for Saturday and Sunday, March 18th and 19th. So not this weekend, the weekend after in one of the Garden Muse rooms at Lissard Estate. It includes tickets to a special St. Patrick's weekend event which will be on the Saturday night where Killer are performing between three and five in the afternoon in the Walled Garden and then that's immediately followed by an opportunity to watch the Six Nations rugby match uh, Ireland taking on England and then that will be a barbecue cooked to order by their executive chef every day this week Martina has been playing a voice of a well-known Irish rugby player the challenge is to identify who the rugby player is now Mark Malone is in for Martina today so Mark will be looking for a qualifier so make sure you're tuned in to uh, drive uh, today and tomorrow and then it's tomorrow The all the qualifiers names go into a hat and somebody will walk away with that wonderful prize on drive this week. Now a number of calls and comments coming in. Firstly just a couple of texts uh, in about road conditions in and this is to do with crumbling roads rather than treacherous road conditions due to the snow. Fimber has been on about two very, what he describes as two very large potholes. They're at the bottom of Bridge Street in Mallow. Anybody know, not knowing, who don't know Mallow, Bridge Street would be a, a very, very busy, busy road in Mallow. Now Fimber says he reported these very large potholes on the 14th of December. He reported it both to Cork County Council and to local councillor Gold Mur- Murphy. Now he said the reason he's contacting us today, he 
said, I nearly had a head-on collision in the area on Tuesday. Motorists are swerving suddenly to avoid these large potholes. Uh, and Finbar is fearful that there's going to be a very bad accident in the area if something isn't done. He's been on to Cork County Council several times. He's trying to see if he can speak to an engineer to let the engineer know exactly where these potholes are. He says he got back onto Gold Murphy. He said Gold Murphy has tried to raise uh, the issue. At this stage now, Finbar is thinking that this is a health and safety uh, issue. He's already had to get the tracking done on his tyres just from hitting these particular potholes. He said it is beyond ridiculous now that it hasn't been uh, addressed. Uh, he's just fearful there's going to be a crash in the area because that people's reaction when they suddenly see a pothole it's, it's exactly as Fimber has outlined there in the text. They swerve to avoid it. Of course, if they're not looking at a car that's uh, coming against them or is beside them, they could swerve in and, and hit another another car. Uh, it does seem crazy that it's been reported since the 14th of December uh, and here we are on the 9th day of March and the potholes, I'm assuming now, are bigger than what they were when they were first reported in uh, December and if Fimber is noticing them on Bridge Street and Mallow, I'm sure other callers are noticing the same uh, thing. Uh, County Council, please, can you get out and sort out those potholes, please? And then John was on to us uh, by uh, text. He is a regular walker in uh, the Crosshaven area of uh, Cork and he said he's noticed in recent months there's big construction work going on. New houses have been built and we all welcome new houses, so that's terrific. But he said the problem is that on the particular stretch of road it's a very narrow road, high over the sea and because John regularly walks in the area, it has come to his attention that the road is cracking because of the high level of trucks that have to travel on it every day because of this building work that's going on. He feels it's a disaster waiting to happen. He said the road could ultimately fall into the sea due to coastal erosion. He thinks the trucks need to stop immediately. He cannot understand why local residents haven't copped on to what's going on. But John, maybe they have. Maybe they've already reported it. I don't know. He has also contacted the council, but he feels the can has just been kicked down the road. He wants something done about that. And well done for reporting it to the council. And if you could speak to local residents, I'm sure if you're if you're describing it as bad as it is, I'm possibly local residents have reported it as well and it gets frustrating then when people report something and nothing seems to get done about it. 0818 103 103 on housing. Uh, people being forced to leave their private rented accommodation and people struggling to try to get a mortgage. Some commentary in on that. As John was on to us from Cove. He says on the people who possibly will be it's evicted. I hate using that word evicted, but the notice to quit, they have to leave their property. John feels if any landlord is forcing a tenant, now we're not talking about antisocial behaviour or someone who isn't paying their rent, uh, but if they're opting to sell the house and therefore the tenants have to leave, John feels the landlord should be responsible for finding them a suitable house. And I don't know where you're coming from on that one. It's not a land. If a landlord, for whatever reason, is now selling their house they can in some cases remember be forced into selling the house because if they've got a large mortgage on the house and the interest rate is going up they could be in a position that they've no choice but to sell the house because they need to pay off the uh, mortgage and I don't know where you're coming from that a landlord if they ask somebody to leave they should find them a suitable property particularly at the moment when there are not suitable properties to be found. Miriam Bandon owns her own house and she says she thinks that the majority of people if they went out to work 
I don't know if everyone's going to be happy with this comment. If people went out to work, they'd be in a much better position to be able to buy their own house. She met an employer the other day who was bemoaning the fact that he had three jobs on offer and he can't get anybody to take up the jobs. He's offered the positions to three different people, all turned it down because they said they would lose out on benefits. Why does everybody today feel that they are entitled to a house, says Miriam in Bandham. I feel very sorry for the middle class workers, those who at Leo Radka will say get up early in the morning and go out to work. Many are working extra jobs just to pay their mortgage and perhaps educate their children. Uh, yes, they may crib about their mortgage, but at least they're going out to work, working extra hours, doing overtime or even taking on an extra job just to pay off that mortgage. They are getting nothing from the state. So they are the people I am really feeling sorry for. Uh, OK, just on the point about the employer who's, who has offered the job, and, and I do know in, there are employers in certain sectors who are finding it very difficult to get uh, workers. But if they're offering a job to somebody who says they will lose out on benefits, that means the pay that the employer is, off, is offering doesn't make it, it worthwhile for the person who's on benefits. They're obviously going to lose out by going to work. And you can understand why somebody wouldn't go to work if they're going to lose out. So maybe it's the employer's issue on the, I don't know what type of a job it is, but maybe he needs to look at the pay scale to incentivise somebody to give up benefits and to go out to work. And I don't think it's as simple as saying that it's people are, are, there are many people who are working, working full time and holding down jobs who still can't get a mortgage, Miriam. I mean, we've been, we were talking about them and highlighted them with David Hall, the, the rules and regulations with the bank. Some people are finding it impossible to get a mortgage. Derek in Grenat said, why do those who are renting feel they should live in that house forever? Derek said, I rented for years myself and the reason I did was I wanted to save so I could purchase my own house. In the back of my mind, I always knew that myself and my partner could be given notice at any time, even though we had a very good relationship with our landlord. You can't rent and expect you'll always be in that house unless it's a long-term lease, which there's very few of those in this country. Too many people today feel they're entitled to so much. Again, I think that's a very unfair uh, comment, uh, Derek, because we're talking about people who would love to be able to buy their own house but they're either financially not in a position to do it or else even if financially they were able to cover the cost of a mortgage they're paying so much in private rent that they can't save the deposit in order to, uh, to be able to buy the house. So it isn't that people think that they're entitled uh, to rent. They need to have a roof over their head. So I, I really think that's a very unfair attitude to have. Uh, thank you for your call though to 0818 103 103. Uh, Burr in the city says, Patricia, there's a house up the road from me and it's been empty for at least five years. You can actually see the dampness is starting starting to set in, says Burr. Now, I wonder, is that a privately owned house, Burr, or is it, is it, a, is it a council house you're talking about? If it's a council house, it's, it's shameful if it's been there. I'd find it very hard that a void would be there for five years. But if it's privately owned, could it be somebody, for example, that's gone into a nursing home and the house is there? I wonder what the backstory of that is. But shameful with so many people looking for accommodation to think that a house could be empty and now you've got dampness setting in and all the kind of problems that will come with that. Hi Patricia, being single in Ireland at the moment is a horrible experience. Knowing in your heart and soul you will never get a mortgage to buy a decent home. I have given my landlord €85,000 over the last nine years 
arrears in rent. Yet the banks only look at what you have in your account. They overlook a person's consistent payment to their landlord and that, and I did raise that issue when I was speaking with David Hall, I think that's so frustrating for people that what they are paying to a landlord would actually cover, well cover, the price of a mortgage and yet they can't get the mortgage in order to get them onto the property ladder in order to to pay what they're paying in rent but instead pay it back to a bank by way of a mortgage. Hi Patricia, thanks for your text. Hi Patricia, the banking sector together with the politicians have a lot to answer for in this country. I'm aware for example of a carpenter who works on building sites and he's living in rented accommodation with his family. A number of years ago the rented house that he lives in was put up for sale while he was renting it so he applied for a mortgage to buy the house that he and his family were in but he was refused on the grounds that his job was not a permanent one even though he has regular employment. He ended up continuing to rent the house at a higher cost than the mortgage would have been. What a joke. Give decent people a better chance of getting a mortgage and they will feel much better about themselves and most will embrace the challenge and feel a sense of achievement. Ridiculous to see good people trapped in this situation. Yeah, well, Thank you for that text. That's exactly what I've been talking about and it was exactly the point that I raised with David Hall of the Irish Mortgage Holders Association. People like that carpenter and his family trapped in private rented uh, accommodation And it seems crazy that carpenters and any of the tradespeople are so hugely in demand. They're turning down work. They have so much work. Crazy to think that a bank would turn down somebody who is working so hard and can prove that they've been paying back more than what the mortgage is for so many years and it gets turned down. It's, yeah, yeah, it's so absolutely soul destroying. And here's a, and I did touch on this with David Hall as well, but here's a kind of, I suppose, a suggestion to anybody out there who is desperately trying to purchase a property. Patricia, a friend of mine, purchased one of the a derelict house. It was on land. It's not far from Care, just across the border in uh, Tipperary. Uh, he paid €50,000 for the derelict property and the land. And then the government now has given him a grant of €50,000 to do it up. And obviously he's to put more money uh, to it. I feel at the moment what's wrong. Many people are fussy, saying, oh, they want to live in an area of the city or they want to live in, in the suburbs of the city and then it's too expensive. Uh, for example, you could want to buy a property in Douglas but would find it way too expensive but if you decided to move outside of uh, outside of the city moved into a more rural area you'd only be an extra 10 minutes on the motorway my friend the property he's purchased is on a half acre beautiful site with the Galtee Mountains for his view I also know two Polish couples who did exactly the same thing they built fabulous houses by be- by buying a derelict site derelict house on a, a site as only as only planning needed, nothing else and the grand schemes are there. We would all love to live in certain areas, but price dictates where we uh, live. Uh, they will have, you could end up with a four-bedded, two-storey house with a garage by looking at some of the derelict houses that are currently dotted all over the country. And that listener, what that listener is talking about is the new uh, grant for derelict houses in Ireland. You can get grants of up to €3,000 on offer. That's for people who are bringing a vacant house back into use. And then the top grant is five 
€50,000 and that's where a property is deemed derelict and obviously is in need of extensive uh, works. And the last time I checked this, which would have been last month, I think it was when, when, when I checked it, Dara O'Brien, the housing minister, because it was announced last August, said 900 applications were received in the first round of the grants, which opened last August. Now, I, do, I don't know if that number has gone up or not. So there are people looking at that. It's a lot of work involved, obviously, but certainly it is a consideration for people who are just desperate to get on to the housing ladder. 0818 103 103 lines open. C103 Jobs. Print is recruiting for a receptionist slash accounts slash admin assistant. Previous office experience would be desirable. Fluent English is also essential. Cover letter and CVs please to jobs at malloprint.com. Bandon Credit Union, they've got a vacancy for a senior loans officer. CVs to Cathy at accesscu.ie and the closing date is Friday the 24th of March. A full-time early years educator with a minimum level 5 qualification in childcare is required for Kale Kale. Now the job starts on the 1st of June and a school-aged childcare worker is also required. That is a 16 hours per week job school term only with immediate start the positions does not require a child care qualification CVs for either of those positions please to kalekillchildcare at gmail.com and assembly technician with the knowledge of pneumatics sensors and technical drawings is required for County Limerick CVs please to careers at designproautomation.com You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. This is Court today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Now, yesterday on the programme, it was so hard not to feel heartbroken for Blarney farmer Dan Cronin and his family, who was outlining to us the savage dog attack on his sheep and lambs that happened last Friday afternoon. Coincidentally, yesterday, the Irish Farmer Association were before the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Agriculture, calling for an urgent introduction of tighter dog control measures. And joining me is Kevin Comiskey, who is the National Chair of the IFA Sheep Committee. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Patricia. And Good morning to your listeners. You're very welcome. How many dog attacks on livestock do you believe happen every year? Oh, um, every year. It, um, well, since uh, just a little bit of background, Patricia, since I became, I've been the Sheep Committee six years, and this has been on the agenda uh, for all of those six years. So when I was elected in January of 2022, I said I was making it a priority of mine to try and get something in place and some legislation and uh, sanctions in place for this issue. And I knew, as I said, it was a big issue. But since I became elected chairman, I've been called a weekly, if not daily basis on attacks right across the country from small numbers, maybe two, three, seven sheep right up to where we've seen huge attacks, uh, 50 and 70 in Moneygall and now around different places across the country. 
when I was talking with Dan yesterday, he was making the point that a lot of it goes underreported. People feel there's no point even reporting it. The dogs and the owners are never going to be found. Yes, it does, especially the smaller, as I said there, the smaller incident uh, goes underreported. People, is that disillusioned with it? And that has been the way. Uh, lack of action, basically, Patricia, from the government and officials. Um, no action being taken and farmers feel let down on the ground. Uh, definitely, that uh, there's nothing being done about it. So that's why we have been putting some, uh, strong uh, thoughts together. We have microchipping and licensing. Uh, the license linked to appropriate owners, a single national database, appropriate sanctions that reflect the horrendous damage like uh, Dan was describing on your show yesterday morning, at the horrendous uh, damage it does right across farms. And then the final one that would be there that I think is most critical and important is enforcement. If enforcement isn't carried out, you can have all the laws in the world, but if you don't have enforcement, it falls at the first fence. So it's critical. Yeah, and, and and certainly that was one of the points that a number of people made yesterday. Oh, you have all the laws in the world. Uh, so when it comes to enforcement, are we saying then that we need more dog wardens with greater powers? Certainly. Certainly more dog wardens with greater powers and a lot more of them. A lot more. There's only about 60 dog wardens in the country. We in IFA estimate eight to 900 dogs, 200 of them possibly about licensed or microchipped a vast majority of them not done, not under control. So it'll take a significant amount of funding and uh, dog wardens put in place. But this, this can't be self-financing when it's the, the dog licenses are being paid and all that, and uh, it'll pay for itself. But we also need this thing of out walking on hills and letting dogs off leads on hills and, and out on walkways. Uh, a campaign, for, uh, awareness campaign also to, to deal with these things. People cannot let their dogs out of control out through farmland and across farmland because it's devastating the damage they can do and it just has to stop. Yeah, because when I was chatting with Dan yesterday, one of the points he made is that he's fearful that the dogs will come back again. Is there evidence that once a dog gets, and I hate putting it like this, but the taste of blood, that they'll continue to attack into the future? Without a shadow of a doubt, I'm a farmer all my life and I've witnessed dog attacks and sheep kills um, and unfortunately horrendous ones there, as I said, in the last 12 months. That was the fear in money goal. That's the fear with every farmer like Dan in that situation. And the man in money goal, I was down, I visited his farm, 50 sheep killed there. He had to house the rest of the sheep because dogs wasn't got and the fear that they would come back. And that's a big issue for me as well. Um, and I have said this to the ministers when I met with them, and we did meet with the working group as well that the minister set up recently, and indeed I'd be hopeful of an announcement shortly. But, um, it, you know, outsourced to animal welfare organisations and that, and some of these dogs, you know, that's lifted, and there could be possible offenders from possible dogs that don't attack and kill sheep and rehomed again, it is not acceptable. Not acceptable at all because they will reoffend and they will do it again when, they, as you say, unfortunately, when they get the taste of blood. So you think if a dog is attacks once, you're saying that dog should be humanely put down? Without a shadow of a doubt, yes, definitely, because it will. It's a, and you can't blame the dog for doing it the first time, and he will definitely do it again. 
but it's the responsible ownership. Yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the owners I blame here, and it's it's hundred uh, percent lies at the owner's doorstep because it's the dog, dog's natural instinct to do this. So, if you take your dog for your walk, but keep it on the lead at all times. Keep it on the lead at all times. Keep it under effective control, and there won't be an issue. But if you don't, and if the dogs is found off lead, the dog warrants, the guard, extra personnel has to be out there. And appropriate sanctions and court cases. And people uh, highlighted and brought to court and fined. And that's the only way you'll get the, uh, the evidence out there, you know, and when you sit with. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People see the sanctions being put in place. They will start to wake up. Okay, because I know the IFA you launched, uh, was it a No Dogs Allowed on Our Lands campaign? Did that, did that help in any way? It's a, it's a little bit, it is a help, yes, and we've been at it for the last number of years, and the reason we've done that, and we're still maintaining that position, is no dogs allowed on the farmland, because of the reckless behaviour of people going in on land, treating the land as if they own it, and they have a natural right to walk the land, which they don't. It's the farmers own the land, and you're on their property, let it be common or elsewise, and you're on a farm, working farm, uh, operational farm ground, and you have to have dogs under control. And if you don't, you cannot, and we won't allow them to be on it. And just by the way, when we're talking about enforcement, has there been many convictions for owners of dogs who were found that their dog was responsible for sheep attacks? I'm trying to think of, have I seen many of them reported in the papers? Very, 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 very yeah. Had it, there wouldn't be a very small handful if, if there is. Uh, there's not. That's the problem. That's the big problem, as I said, is enforcement and penalties and sanctions put in place. You know, because it's like having your car out on the road for tax and insurance. If you think there's going to be no checkpoints, you're going to drive away. And if they're not going to be caught or they're not going to be, you know, a penalty or a sanction in place, you, you, people will do it recklessly. Okay, but you want you certainly want the full enforcement of, of microchipping of all dogs. 
of microchipping of all dogs and indeed the veterinary practices has a role to play here as well. When people pose with their, uh, their dog or their pet or whatever to the vet to get it treated, to get it vaccinated, to get worms, tablets, whatever, when farmers go with their sheep or their calf or cow or whatever to get a vaccine, to get a medicine, you have to give the tag number. The exact same thing should to apply to dogs that the vet cannot prescribe any medicine unless the dog is microchipped and licensed. And until then, that's the, they cannot be prescribed with any of these medications. It would be a help also. OK, OK. All right. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Kevin. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Thank Good you. morning to you. That is Kevin Comiskey. Kevin is the chair of the National IFA uh, Sheep Committee with that message. Once again, as we gave out yesterday, responsible pet ownership. Please know where your dogs are at all times because it was just devastating listening to poor Dan yesterday talking about his uh, sheep. Uh, 0818103103. A listener has been on by text saying, uh, Does anybody has anybody been on the Clonakilty to Cork City road this morning and is it okay to travel on it. I don't know if we've had many reports of bad road conditions in West Cork. It certainly has been in North Cork and in West uh, Limerick. So if anybody has travelled into Cork City on the Clon Road this morning in the last couple of hours where the road conditions okay because somebody obviously a little bit nervous and needs to travel on that road today. Let us know. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. With a little over, a, we're a little over a week away now from this year's St. Patrick's Day. And with that in mind, RTE, as part of their St. Patrick's Day Festival broadcast, is looking for shout outs from friends and families who live all around the world. To find out more, I'm joined by our showbiz correspondent, Crossy, who happens to be one of this year's presenters for the Dublin Parade. Uh, good morning to Crossy. That's uh, in my head. I went, oh God, there's only eight days left. <laughs> That's all there is. That's <laughs> so much to do. Come here, come here. Firstly, congratulations on on getting one of the presenter roles. Are, are you super excited? Thanks so much. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. I was I explained to my friends the other day that when I was a kid, I wanted to present the den. And that led on to St. Patrick's Festival. I was always like, I want to be Ray Darcy. I want to be Jamie McCall. And then when it went on to the parade, I always wanted to be there. So it's kind of like a little full circle now that it's happening next Friday, quarter past 12 on RT1. Um, we've been in production all week. Same with next week as well. I've got to see, you know, the ideas of what's happening. And, you know, in my head, I kind of thought this would be a month before the parade starts, that's when all the organization happens. This goes on year round. Like there's been talks with people in New York and LA, Africa, everyone coming together uh, to be part of the biggest parade in the world. Like everyone focuses on Ireland. Yeah, you know, no and what, where you are in the world. what I always like about the Dublin Parade is it's always on in the morning, so we can watch yes. it on the on the <laughs> we here in the real capital can watch it on the TV <laughs> uh, and then head out really? to our own parades in the afternoon. So kind of it it sets the day up. I always feel. Do you know what? It's a double whammy, and it's it's fantastic. I know I'm originally from Navan, and it's, it's the exact same as well. The Navan Parade, I think, is usually on around three o'clock. So it was always good to you know to to get the vibe, to get to see what's going on. At home in your house where you're nice and warm, getting to see us. I already, the really weird thing, the one question people keep asking me is, What am I wearing? Yeah. What coat am I wearing? And I was like, Coat? I don't know about coat. And then, so I bought a coat the other day. So Did this you? is it. 
the coat's getting the coat's getting the coat's getting an outing. Do you know, I, I looked at a coat and I was like, oh, I really want this. And then I saw the price and I went, absolutely not. And um, the lady ran out of the shop and she was like, do you never believe it? There's a 70% discount on that coat. So I bought it there and then. So it looks expensive. But let me tell you, there was 70% off it on some random sale that I got. So, you're, a gr- you're, um, a, you're a great man for the bargain. Will there be a... But will you, will <laughs> yeah. You'll have to have a splash of green, though, will you? I mean, obviously, you'll be wearing the shamrock. Will there be a splash of green? I'll have the shamrock. My jumper is actually green. Is it? It's uh, made by an Irish company. And that is it. I think my, my jacket doesn't, it has kind of freckles of green in it, but it's like a brown. Again, it's from an Irish company as well. I think, you know, it, it, that was the big thing that, you know, that I was like, ah, look, if I'm going to be wearing something, it has to be all Irish. Yeah, 100% so, for, for, the, for the day that's in it. And with the Dublin Parade, you think it's going to be bigger and better than ever before? And there's a lot of emphasis on it this year because there's, a, there's that feeling that the pandemic is now behind us. Well, this is it. And I think that goes for every single parade that has been done all around Ireland this year is that people are being asked to go out because it is, as you said, the first time, like last year we had it and it was great, but it was still kind of the the, the, the COVID was still lingering around and people were always were a bit wary. It seems to have moved on a tiny bit now. And I think a lot of people will be wanting to go out, have a look at all the green colour, look at St. Patrick, you know, catch up at Friends whether you're in Cork or anywhere around Ireland, I think all eyes are going to be on us uh, for St. Patrick's Day. And it's great. Yeah, it is terrific. So what are you asking people from around the world to do, Crossy? So this is it. You get up on a St. Patrick's morning, uh, whether you go to Mass or whatever you do in the morning time, just before you head out for your own parade in Cork, you're going to be watching the parade on RTE. And if you have family and friends that are living around the world, you never feel more Irish than you do on St. Patrick's Day. I think anyone who I've spoken to have said whether it's the company turns on the TV, whether you've taken the day off and you're meeting your friends, you turn on RTE, whether it's the player, yeah, it'll have to be the player to see the parade go through O'Connor Street in Dublin and then look at the parades right across, right across Ireland. So what we want is for those people, so your family and friends that live abroad, to send a message and it might appear on RTE on the 17th of March. It's basically, hi, I'm such and such. I've been living in Australia for four years and happy St. Patrick's Day to all my family and friends. And that could get aired uh, on RTE, which would be nice as well. Like if you're watching it, whatever the time difference is in a pub or in a cafe or in your bed or whatever it is to see your face to be shown right it's across, right across I, I, I think it's lovely. World. And of course, it's so easy to do it now because we all have cameras on our phones. Yes. So this is the only thing that we ask for, that it has to be landscape. Now, in my head, I was like, what's landscape? It's when you turn your phone to the side. Um, So when you turn your phone uh, sideways, and it just has to be 10 to 15 seconds. Now, if you live near the the Sydney Opera House or you walk past it every day, do it there. If you're, you know, in South Africa, do it there. Wherever it is, anywhere outside of Ireland, we're looking for people to send a 15-second video. Just, you know, to wish your family, to wish everyone a happy St. Patrick's Day. And it shows that everyone's everyone's celebrating it and they're celebrating Ireland. And I think from next week, all these massive, uh, like the likes of the Eiffel Tower and all that will probably go green again like it does every single year. And it's so nice to see all that happening. And if you feel sometimes that you're, you're missing out on 
on St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. It could be part of it, but being on the TV, which is great. Yeah, and, and as you say, if you can get in something iconic from where you are, like you yes. mentioned, you mentioned <laughs> the city, you know, Big Ben in, in London, if you're in Paris, I was going to say in front of the Mona Lisa, but I don't think you're allowed to take photographs, so we'll say the Eiffel Tower, <laughs> you know, the Colosseum <laughs> in Rome. It'd just be lovely to have something in the background. It would be lovely. So for all of your listeners that are listening this morning, uh, we all know whether it's, you know, our nearest or dearest or our best friends or whoever who have left Ireland. They're the ones drop them a WhatsApp this morning and say, would you do a video within the next two to three days? And that is it. It could be on RTE uh, come St. Patrick's Day. And where do they send the videos to, Crossy? I have the details here. It is St. Patrick's Festival at cococontent.ie. Okay, St. Patrick's Festival, uh, all small at cococontent.ie. And keep it 10, and to, 10 to 15 that. seconds. It's just, you, we don't want people's life history. Seconds. Yeah, just uh, keep, <laughs> keep it short, keep it short and uh, sweet. Now, I can't have you on the programme without talking Oscars. I was watching last night on the TV. It was wonderful to see the, the cream of Irish screen talent all gearing up to fly the flag at the, what is the 95th Academy Awards on uh, Sunday. This is a big year for us, isn't it? It's the mo- it's, am I right in saying it's the most nominations we've ever had? It's the most nominations we've ever had. And it's, it's so good to see the amount of people heading out there. I was actually supposed to be, be there this Sunday, uh, but just with production and all that, I was like, you know, I, I could hear my mother in my head going, you need to relax. So uh, it was St. Patrick's Festival or, or, or the Oscars. And I was like, oh, St. Patrick's Festival all the way. But my friends are out there at the minute and they said the buzz for the Irish is incredible. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of Irish in Hollywood as well. So they're going to be focusing, you know, on how do we get to Barry? How do we get to Colin, to Brendan, to Paul? You probably would have saw in the news last night that all Paul's family, uh, all the Colin Kuhn gang went out as well. And what I love about Colin Kuhn as well is that they all stick together. Like I've never seen, do you know way like a, a Colin, the director, he always speaks but there's always people around him. If he's never on his own and it's a real family and I really like that about that. So I hope that movie, you know, does well. Who's going to win? I would love to see Barry. I would really love to see Barry win. He's got something. I don't know what it is. This Hollywood charm, divilment. I think he's a massive year ahead of him. You would have saw in the last, the Batman movie, he's getting ready to come back for the next Batman movie as an iconic character. I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it already. But I just think he has something. I'd love to see Colin as well. You know, it would be nice. There's just so many. There's just so many that, you know, the Irishness for that week and for what a week for it to be on as well. The week of St. Patrick's week. But I mean, out of, I mean, you know, when there's 14 nominations, we're not expecting to get all 14. If you were a gambling man, where would you be putting your money on what you see as perhaps the, def, the definite Oscars to come back? I would say Barry. Would you Barry? I okay. would say Barry. No, uh, no, I think Barry is a strong. And that is only going on the fact that he won the he won the BAFTA. Uh, I think the fact that the SAG Awards we didn't do well. You know, we didn't do much in that. Uh, it, it it's all about it's all about hustling. I was trying to explain to this to someone earlier on. It's like the elections. The people who vote for the Oscars are looking at everything. They're looking at red carpets. They're looking at how they conduct themselves in interviews. They're looking at who do they know, what do they know. I think Brendan Fraser has a great has a great chance to win. 
um, best actor for the whale only because Hollywood did him wrong a few years ago and he's kind of has a renaissance at the minute and there is a kind of talk around the town that this is like an not an apology as such but it's like he has he has something to prove and he, he has felt like yeah, the backstory that I won't even get into it go, go google it it's it's a bit mad how he went from A-lister to nothing for years and years and Hollywood was to blame so you can kind of see that could be a massive possibility that Brendan could uh, Fraser could pip it amongst everyone else uh, it's, it's it's sad that it's all politics but look that's what Hollywood is it's very much you know who's who's who that is going to win it but a great but it but it's brilliant for the for the Irish and Irish filmmaking isn't it to you know it puts us on to a completely different stage it does it does and this and this is brilliant for Ireland this is massive for Ireland you know like even just look at the likes of the Banshees there's people in America who always see Ireland you know as that one place they want to go to and will you know will save up so much money in their lifetime I would say Tourism Ireland is going to jump on the back of this and push this hugely. Um, if you look at Paul Meskell after Sun, Paul is a massive year ahead of him. There is rumours that he's going to be in the next Gladiator movie. Remember mm. that was Russell Crowe's mm. movie? So he's going to play Russell Crowe's character, like as in that big of a character in the next Gladiator movie. So when you see when you see all this happening and you're seeing the Irish people and so many going over and it kind of gives you kind of that proudness. And I think when we're all going to be watching it on Sunday night into Monday morning, there's going to be a lot of tired heads on um, on Monday morning. I know they're roosting Kildare, a pub in Kildare. I actually think they're, they're staying open all night and they're asking people, if you want to come in and watch it, here is, we're going to show it on the screens. If you do not want to go to a pub or a function room or whatever it is to watch it, it's going to be on Sky, or if you have now, it's going to be on now as well. So you'll be able to watch it live. Now, I'd say there's going to be possibly maybe like a 10-second delay because of what happened last year with Will Smith and the slap. Um, God, that's a year ago. <laughs> that was a year ago. Yeah. So what's going to happen this year is there's going to be a bigger delay than 10 seconds. There's also going to be security in the crowd dressed up in their gunas or their suits so if anything happens they are jumping up from that table and they're bringing down whoever it's not going to happen I think this was a once in a lifetime moment that it did happen um, so that's all happening as well because I remember I watched a lot live last year and I'm going oh my god that, that didn't happen that didn't happen and then when people were waking up in the morning time they, the Oscars had kind of cut out all that part, okay. which the likes of me were watching and recording it as it was going. So it, everything had got out. Everyone had seen it. And yeah, I think the kind of the fallout of that was mental. You know, he's been banned for the Oscars for 10 years, <laughs> which is crazy. Poor Will, poor Will. The one thing to keep an eye on, yeah. as of tomorrow, all the parties are starting. So you'll have like the Irish... Uh, Fanula of is it Fanula O'Flanagan? Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Name? Who's in Smother? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am almost sure because my housemate went to the Oscars for years for work, and she has a party over there. There's a lot of Irish diaspora, like proper Irish actors that live over there and will hold parties. And these are the parties to be in, you know, to make deals, to you know, meet other people and all that sort of stuff. So you're going to see that online for the next few days. Because it's not just the Oscars night, it's the lead up to it. It's the two to three days beforehand when they're going out, they're going for lunches, they're going for dinner. I saw in The Hollywood Reporter last night, there was a, a Young Actors Award a Guild dinner and Paul Meskel was at it. 
and he was looking great at it as well. So it's going to be good to see all that and see what happens next after the Oscars, okay. especially because of all the knocks that we had. Well, we're all looking forward to it and you're a mighty man. You gave it all up for the St. Patrick's Day Parade. We are so proud <laughs> of you, Crossy. Listen, as always, thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. And just to remind listeners of that email address, St. Patrick's Festival at cococontent.ie. Thanks, Crossy. Amazing. Talk soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. And thank you to Joan, who's just been on to us to say she's just travelled on the Clonakilty to Bandon Road, and it's absolutely perfect. That was for the listener who needs to get out of uh, Clonakilty to City Road. Absolutely perfect. Thank you for that, uh, Joan. Okay, we need to take a break. If you've got a pet question, get it in, please, uh, because uh, Jane Pickett will be joining us in the next hour. Dan and more coming up after news at 12. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Whenever we mention about houses and if there's vacant houses and I knew when David Hall started talking about that there are vacant properties that should be brought back into use in order to house so many people that are desperately in need of housing. I knew the minute that we would mention it we would get calls from different parts of the city and county. Well the latest is Joe in Kilmallock who says there are two bedrooms, there's a two bedroom house and a four bedroom house that he personally knows of in the estate where he lives. They're both lying idle. Both he says are council owned properties but he says he also knows of private houses that are simply not selling in Kilmallock. He says one house is up for sale for 150000 He said it's up for sale for a good while. Now he said it might need a little bit of renovation like a new kitchen or whatever but he said it's a great starter home and for some reason it's it's not uh, selling and he said there's other, other examples of that in uh, West uh, Limerick and is that to do with where it is that people don't want to live there? It's, it's, it could be too far from where they work. They don't want to commute. There could be a variety of different reasons but um, Joe's point is that there are houses for sale that are cheaper than some of the much more expensive houses but I suppose the most expensive houses in the country are the ones around Dublin but if you need to buy a house in Dublin buying a house in Kilmallock isn't of much use to somebody who needs to live and work in uh, Dublin but shameful to think that there are council houses lying idle thanks for your call Joe to 0818 103 103 let me go back to the savage attack on sheep that we spoke about yesterday Yesterday with Dan Cronin, the farmer from Killeen's outside of Blarney. And then this morning I had the IFA Sheep Committee, their chairperson on because they were before the Oireachtas Committee saying something needs to be done. We're losing too many, farmers are losing too much livestock because of people not controlling their dogs. Uh, Dermot uh, joins me. Good, Good afternoon to you, Dermot. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now you once upon a time kept sheep, but you don't keep sheep at the moment. Not as well, then, as the man says, in my 70s now. I'm talking about, I, I used to keep a lot. I used to sell maybe 800 sheep every year for breeding okay. in, the, in the 70s and 80s. But going back to what you were talking about, I had a field rented near a certain town, and I was living about 300 yards away from it, and I had 40 sheep in the field. But there was a few nice houses built next in front of the field and there was a lovely man down there and he used to come up at maybe two or three o'clock in the morning and he used to say to me your sheep are being hunted by dog so I used to run down I used to open the gate and hunt the sheep into the shed 
Yeah. So I said, there must be an easier way of doing this. So a fellow said to me, get strychnine. And I said, what is strychnine? It's poison, he said. You have to go to the gal. You have to get a, a license to put it down and a license to buy it. That time you could go into the chemist, ask for your pound of strychnine, whatever you've got. It was a powder to me. And you'd go to the butcher and you'd get some liver or you'd get some meat or you'd, and you'd take it out to your field, put it in the field in such a way it wouldn't be moved by crows and put your sign up, lens, poison. And any oh, dog... Yeah, I, any, it's funny, I remember seeing those signs. I, I, yeah, but, yeah. It, but it was strychnine hidden in meat was what you used to put yeah, down. Exactly. Strychnine hidden in meat. And if any dog eats it, that would be in I'll give you an example. I had another place over another 20 miles away and I had a lot of sheep down in November. And I took down a, a stake and I stuck the stake in the ground and I hung a bit of a neck of lamb on the stake. This was in November. The following after I took away, I had a lovely dog, uh, a German, German sheep dog. And I took him up the field for a walk. He took one nip out of the strychnine, came down to the down to the yard, drank a drop of water, was dead in ten minutes. So you killed one. You killed your own dog. But I didn't. I didn't read. I had forgotten that I had. I had the thing driven down, and I just took him for a walk. And he snapped a bit of the meat, and when he drank, killed him straight away. The point I'm making is how long it lasts. This was no. This was March, and I had put it down in November. Do you, and do you know over the years when you were when you used that method to stop yeah, dogs attacking your sheep, do you know how many dogs you killed? I, I have no idea. But it was up to the person who was in charge of the dogs to make sure they didn't go in where the sign poison was up. But in my opinion, nobody should be given a license for a dog without having accommodation to keep him at night. And by day, every dog should be on a chain and let him out for a couple of hours to run around. I love dogs. Yeah. And I love sheep. I have a dog, and if I send him out to a field with 50 sheep in it, she'd bring every one of them in. But against that, if she was walking down the road and she saw a field of sheep, she'd jump in and chase him. Because it's, it's an automatic thing for a dog to do, is to chase an animal. It's, and if one, if one sheep runs, they all run. It's in their nature. It's as you know. And in fairness, in fairness to the the IFA chair uh, Kevin Comiskey, uh, he doesn't blame the dogs. He said it's not the dogs' no, fault. No. It's it's the owner it's the and the irresponsible owners. If any man is got without, with a dog without a license, he should be automatically fined a hundred pounds, get the license immediately, or put the dog down. There is no excuse in the world for not having control over your dog. It's pure blackguardism. A lot of the people that have them dogs, I'm, I'm nothing against people drawing the doll or anything, but they don't give a damn. They just have them. A responsible farmer will keep his dogs in control at all times. Yeah, at yeah, all times. at all times. Yeah. And by the way, your your strychnine that you 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 that used banned. that's banned. That's gone. Yes, banned since uh, 1992. Uh, it's gone for But years. you can, but but in. Uh, a, a farmer can shoot a dog if a, if a, no, a, that's you can legally kill a dog if they're hunting or frightening your animals. There was two neighbours of mine. They both did both wildering. One man was down the road, and if his sheep were killed, we'll say last night, he'd go up the up the road with a double barrel gun, and any dog he'd find, he'd do it. And 
there was a woman there one day, she had a dog in the lead and he said to her let the dog off of the lead that dog was the one hunting my sheep oh he was not okay she said and he shot him on the lead in front of the woman in front of the woman so what would you do if you saw your little sheep turn around the place their ears missing their eyes missing the lamb oh listen I'm not I'm not I'm not in any way taking from the savage attacks and I said it to Dan yesterday lambs and sheep are such defenceless uh, animals but but was was that man 100% sure that that woman's dog had if he wasn't sure he wouldn't have shot the dog because she would have sued him but also if you have 50 sheep and they're attacked by dogs and 20 of them are killed, the rest of them are no good at them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. It's countless nice farmers. Countless. Yeah, yeah, I, ju- I just don't know. I just don't know uh, um, if the strychnine, which you say is banned, so, so it can't happen at the moment. T- to me, the danger uh, with the strychnine, Dermot, and in God knows it happened to your own dog, is yeah. an innocent animal or pet yeah. or wildlife can I get killed from the strychnine. That was my own cause. But in, if you see a yeah, but you, do, you don't know if other if other wildlife also got killed by eating some of your strychnine well, over the years. The only way other wildlife can be killed is if the strychnine is taken from one place to another by a crow or something. But if you have it in such a way, it cannot be moved. But the only I'm not I'm not advocating the, the bringing back strychnine. Okay. I'm saying if you have a, a sheep, you naturally have paperwork for them. And if you go into the garden barracks, there's my paperwork. I'm afraid of my sheep are going to be interfered with. Can I get strychnine? Only the men with sheep get the strychnine. Nobody else. You understand? Yeah, I'm and I, I do, I do, I do, I do. But 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 it got banned for I imagine the reason that other animals, other wildlife uh, were were getting killed. And I'm also seeing a report of a farmer who died. In the, yeah. in the early noughties as well from the use of it. Okay. But something, I, I absolutely accept something needs to be done because there's, there's two, I mean, listening to, uh, to Kevin Comiskey today, he said there isn't a week goes by since he took over as the IFA chief chairman that he's not yeah. getting a call. There's a lot of, the sh- a lot of sheep are getting killed and it's going underreported because farmers just yeah, say, what's the that, point? If that strychnine was out in the field, the dogs would go for the meat rather than the sheep. Yeah, and, and if there was a sign up saying land's poisoned, people would be very slow about leaving, leaving any animal in there. All right. Okay. All right, I've got to leave it there. And listen, Derek, thank you for that. 0818 103 103. And I certainly do remember seeing signs up saying land's poisoned, but it's obviously gone because it got banned in, strychnine got banned in 1992. Okay, just back to some of your calls coming in and texts on empty houses. Bridget in Bandon is on a number of empty houses, she says, in the town of Bandon. She said many of them have been empty some time. She knows of one bungalow vacant for seven years. It's shocking to see other houses uh, like that, particularly when you're hearing so many people looking for uh, housing. Uh, 0818103103. Pat in Charleville is agreeing with Derek, who was one of our previous listeners who was saying that people need to get out and get a job and go to work and buy their own uh, houses. Pat says Derek is right. Too many people in this country are expecting everything from the government for nothing. Houses, medical cards, etc. Tell them get off their backsides and work. Pay a mortgage like the majority of us are and have been doing. Stop having children if they have no roof to put over their head. Fairly simple. Fairly simple really. We even now have them coming in from all over the world from 
freebies and it won't last forever. It wasn't that long ago that this country was broke on its knees and the IMF had to move in. I am self-employed, breaking my back to pay my mortgage and all of my bills. I get nothing for free. I'm sick of these spongers, says Pat in Charleville. I call them cuckoos because they won't build their own nest. 0818103103 and somebody else when I mentioned modular homes because Leo Varadkar was saying they're not the quick fix they can't get built overnight somebody obviously in the know says a typical modular home site takes between seven and nine months to complete services water electricity sewage disposal groundworks basis for the said modular homes and then you build the house which are pre-made panels which must then be fitted uh, together with the roof etc so Leo is right it's not a quick fix these houses can't go up overnight and Anne-Marie enjoying listening to the programme think of your kind comments Anne-Marie says I was listening to you today discussing the plight of renters and earlier in the week we were talking about the national fear around energy prices. It then struck me that the government is about to spend millions on a referendum later on this year that will change exactly nothing for ordinary people. I wonder if the government have decided that the housing crisis and the cost of living crisis are simply all too difficult for them. So they're introducing this referendum almost as a distraction to the population from what really matters and what's really going on. That old look over here approach. In fact, we should not be wasting money on this referendum. If we really want that clause in the Constitution to be removed, that could be dealt with along with an election or another referendum in the future at much less cost. This, to me, is more misspending on behalf of the government. Give that cash instead that they'll spend on a referendum to those that are hard-pressed, like that elderly woman, remember the 100-euro woman I'm assuming you're talking about, that had the electricity bill of nearly €1,000 and that's from um, Anne-Marie. And of course it was yesterday on National Women's Day that the government then Leo Varadkar announced that they are uh, proposing to hold a referendum in November and as Leo was saying yesterday it's to remove outmoded references to women's place being in the uh, home. In particular it's Article 41.2 of the Constitution that says by her life within the home woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and that mothers should not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. Now times have changed I have to say so so much since the since the constitution was first uh, put into place but but I think Anne-Marie is making a valid point even if it is removed and I think the wording that upsets most people is the idea of women that they can't neglect their duties in the home uh, that even if that part was to be removed like is it going to change anybody's life? No probably not. Will it cost a lot of money? I'd have to do a bit of digging around Anne-Marie to find out exactly how much a referendum uh, costs but our constitution has been in place for 86 years and in that time we've had 38 different uh, referendums since the constitution was written in 1937 and of course the reason one of the main reasons we're having this 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 particular referendum was the Citizens uh, Assembly. They were the ones who recommended removing the references to women's place in the home and replacing them instead with non-discriminatory and gender neutral language. So it isn't Leo Varadkar 
sorry, it isn't the current government that has come up with the idea for the referendum. It did get kicked off by the Citizens' Assembly, but it was yesterday as part of International Women's Day celebrations that Leo decided to uh, announce that the government plans to hold a referendum to amend the constitution and it will enshrine gender equality and it will remove that, what he, he called outmoded references to women in the home and the plan is that it will happen next November. But can we afford it at this time? Uh, some will say the government are awash with money but Anne-Marie's point is even if they are awash with money and they have that money, could that money not be better spent particularly when we have a cost of living crisis and we're particularly when we're looking at people with no homes to live in. 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our uh, WhatsApp 0862103103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie Kildallery Community Development they will hold their weekly lotto draw this afternoon at four that's in the local community office this week's jackpot is €7,600 and tickets are on sale from local outlets and the community office Barry Road Players Drama Group Castle Lines are holding their annual general meeting tonight the venue is Castle Lines Hall 8 o'clock new members are welcome and McCroom Flower and Garden Club are hosting a gardening talk with Sonia McGee from Ballymaloo tonight in Cool Cara House in McCroom an 8 o'clock start new members and visitors are most welcome Clonakilty Community Resource Centre they're holding a fundraising table quiz Mick Finn's Bar tonight at 8 tables of 4 please 40 euro and money's raised will be used for the upkeep of the resource centre and best of luck to everybody involved in the 60th West Cork Drama Festival it is opening in Rossmore Theatre tomorrow Friday and runs up until Saturday the 18th of March shows at 8 o'clock each night tickets 15 euro and they're available at www.rossmoretheatre.com Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie For C103 photos and more follow us on Instagram at C103Cork This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, as Barry O'Mahony has been reporting on the news this morning, the Middleton St. Patrick's Day Parade will not go ahead next week. A number of reasons have been put forward, but the main one appears to be around the safety of participants and the safety of the crowds who will turn out to watch the parade. To find out more, I'm joined by a local councillor, uh, Daniela Toomey. Good, good afternoon to you, Daniela. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. This is very disappointing news. Can you explain to us when and why this decision was taken? And, and I'm assuming it wasn't an easy decision to take. No, um, very regretfully, we had to take the decision to pull the parade. Um, we had a call out a number of weeks ago for volunteers. Um, then last week, we put the last call out um to see if we could get any more people and unfortunately we didn't yield um as many um volunteers as we needed to conduct the parade in a safe manner um and we were left with no choice we had to pull the parade 
So we're absolutely devastated. The committee is devastated. In, a, in an ideal world, Daniela, how many volunteers, these are volunteer stewards that we're talking about, would you need to host a successful parade? Well, um, when we sat down with our local guardie and we went through everything, we needed around 50 stewards to safely um, conduct the parade. Um, not only do we need stewards along the parade route, we need them at pivotal road closure points also. And um, we needed to make sure that we had enough people at each point um, because that those those pivotal points really are to make sure traffic doesn't come in on top of the parade and to keep the kids safe. So because we didn't get anywhere near the number that we were required to safely run the parade, we had to pull it. Um, it was a very, very difficult decision, Patricia, and we really did everything that we could possibly do to try and not get to this point. But it came to a point, we had a crisis meeting yesterday, and it came to a point that we couldn't go on any longer. We're a week away from the parade and we had to let our vendors know, we had to let our participants know so that they could go to a different parade. Um, we didn't want our vendors to lose out money so that they could attend a different parade or traders. And we had to let our guardie know because our sergeant would have had um, implemented additional resources and additional staff for the day. Um, so we had to let all these people know we just couldn't leave it go any longer. We had to pull it. Well, that's just so disappointing for particularly, well, for everybody involved. I mean, the, the family and the children, we all have gorgeous memories yeah. of growing up and going to your own local parade. But also, I mean, I have lovely memories as a brownie and a girl guide marching in the parade. Yeah. That's, it's a very special thing to do as well. Yeah, I mean, look, the parade every year is all about the kids. It's all about the kids for us. But at the end of the day, their safety was the most important thing. And if we could not guarantee that, then we couldn't risk it. Um, we wouldn't have been allowed to risk it anyway. Um, and we wouldn't have done it. It just it just was impossible. We just were left with no choice. But next year, we're already making plans to make sure this doesn't happen next year. And I mean... We have we now seem to be getting the support that we couldn't get, you know, that led up to this decision. And next year we really will come back with a bigger and better parade. But unfortunately, it's just been taken out of our hands this year. And I just want to thank the um, the committee for their work, the months of work that went into this and our local guardie who every year we couldn't do without them. They are just absolutely amazing. We have an amazing sergeant in Middleton who pulls out all the stops for us. Um, so, I mean, look, it was a very, very difficult decision, but we literally had no choice. Um, and we're, you know... And it's never it's, it's never happened before on previous years, Daniela. You've never had problems getting volunteers, obviously. Um, we've always had problems getting volunteers, but I think this year we needed for, you know, there was a lot of different criteria put in place, insurance purposes. We needed a certain amount of stewards, Um and unless we could provide a list at a date that we were given, which was Wednesday, which was yesterday, then we, we, we couldn't we couldn't hold the parade. Yeah, it's just shocking. No. It, it, it really is. It's just, it's just and I can, I can hear it in your voice how disappointed uh, you are as well. Um, and I'm wondering, yeah. are other towns facing similar problems, Danielle. I mean, is this an ongoing issue that nobody wants to get involved when it comes to volunteering? I remember the Folk Festival in Mallow uh, many years ago, very successful Folk Festival. And I remember that had to stop because they just couldn't get the volunteers. It's, it's hard to get people to volunteer, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think we have been contacted by a number of other committees that have had the same problems. Um, I suppose, like, in terms of Middleton, it's such a large town and we have such a large turnout that we would have requirements, safety requirements that other smaller parades and villages wouldn't have. Um, so maybe it is easier. They, they need less volunteers, but... No, a lot of committees have contacted us saying that they are struggling every mm. year to get volunteers. But I suppose just to make the point as well, um, last year, some of our volunteers did get quite a lot of abuse at the road closure points um, from motorists. And I think that may have pushed some of our volunteers off. And I just want to say that's that's so wrong. Um, at the end of the day, the parade is for the kids. And that's the reason we do it. And that's the reason why everybody comes. Um, and it's, you know, I think because of that, it really is. It's just devastating for us. OK, but hopefully bigger and better next year then for Middleton. Absolutely, Patricia, absolutely. All right, listen, we thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you for that. Thank you. Good, Thank you. good afternoon to you. That is Councillor Daniela Toomey on the very disappointing news. No parade in Middleton this year because the organisers simply couldn't get the volunteers uh, to help out. Uh, 0818 103 103. If you've got a pet question for Jane, can you get it into us, please? Or you can text her WhatsApp a pet question to 086 103 103. I just want to quickly go to some texts that are in. Firstly, a listener has sent me in a text saying, uh, Trish, I paid my... Uh, I pay... I have my electricity with Borgosh. I got the 200 euro government energy credit, but Borgosh won't give me the 50 euro electric Ireland credit. Why is that? Uh, because the Electric Ireland credit of 50 euro was only paid to people who were customers of Electric Ireland. You get your electricity with Board Gosh. Board Gosh didn't give a 50 euro. It was only Electric Ireland customers. Yes, you got your, everyone gets the 200 euro from the government, but the 50 euro was only given to Electric Ireland uh, customers. You're with Board Gosh. That's who you get your electricity uh, from. And then some texts in uh, responding to Dermot, who joined us in the last hour, who once upon a time was able to buy strychnine and used to put strychnine in liver and other types of meat and it was to stop dogs coming in and attacking his sheep. He reckons that should be brought back. Not everyone is agreeing with Dermot, I have to say, including Richard to say, Patricia, with regard to Dermot, the retired farmer and the poison. Uh, I respect his need to protect the sheep but his blind disregard for other wildlife absolutely amazes me. Tying the meat to a stake will not stop a rat or any other animal eating the poison and then being carried by crows and then dropped into uh, gardens where well cared for pets could pick it up and die. And that's one of the points I was trying to get across to Dermot. Is there not a danger that while you're setting out to target a particular animal who's attacking your sheep but will you end up targeting every animal that's in your area. Uh, Liz says that fellow Dermot is crazy out of his mind to come on public radio and say this the problem is with dog owners it's the people who owns who own the dog uh, full stop it is not the dog who is at fault and in fairness the IFA Sheep Committee Chair Kevin Comiskey made the very same point to me. It's not the dog's fault it's just within their nature. A lot of savages talking about dogs about dogs being killed and to shoot a dog on a lead is nothing but savagery, says another uh, texter. And Maria said, for God's sake, Patricia, strychnine. 
and I have so much pity for that sheep farmer. It's terrible, that savagery. I have no words for that person who is advocating that we return to using strychnine to kill dogs. Can you imagine some small child rambling into a field, playing and touching something, poison gets onto their finger fingers and then they could eat it. It doesn't bear thinking about what about the other wildlife. Absolute disgrace. The repercussions of killing somebody inadvertently needs to be considered. Kind regards, says Maria. And I'm assuming I'd have to do, there was a doll debate seemingly around the ending of uh, strychnine and the ending of um, um, and banning it back in the 90s. I'd have to go into, it was an Oireachtas debate in 1991 that led to, to the ban. Yeah, I'd be interested to see the arguments that were put forward for it, but I'm, I'm assuming that there was accident. Well, there was, I know, one accidental death of a farmer in the early noughties, um, but that was after the ban had been uh, introduced. 0818 103 We are looking for your pet questions, uh, please. Uh, John Paul's taking them if you want to get a pet question into uh, Jane or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and I've just spotted a text to say very sad that the Middleton were not able to the organisers of the Middleton Parade were not able to come up with 50 volunteers doesn't it just show how selfish people have gone nobody wants to volunteer at the end of the day it's only for a couple of hours the, the little Johnnies and the Marys who will be taking part in the parade because some of their parents not have volunteered it really is an awful disappointment that there will be no parade in Middleton this year Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie Exoilamach Quidenanihe is Farlin. Shae Troer C103 Air Kirkig. Is Marga Bay Yane the English market, Elor Hahar Kirkui, in a will Ramesh Laham Stali Yakas Shastoin, Lebush Dairy, Bokhari, Kanahori Aishk, Stali Glassri, Shapui Cafe, a Hodas Klohish, Agas Avadni Smo. Dinkor Ole Hosu the Hodil, Win Sultas and Atmosphere, Nublasana, Agas Blafele, Un Irgniv Shah, a Hen Shirgadin Vlien, Mila Shakyad Sahotau Hocht. Not sure where to start with your smart meter? Sign up to a Home Electric Plus smart meter price plan from Electric Ireland to see how much energy your appliances are actually using. Track your usage monthly, daily or even hourly and get tips and advice on how to use less. It's a smart start to controlling your energy usage. To sign up, search Electric Ireland Home Electric Plus. Smart meter and online account required. Features available after four months. T's and C's apply. See electricireland.ie. Planning your next getaway? Take your pick with a choice of four routes to Britain and 14 daily sailings with Stenaline. With unlimited luggage, you can pack the car with everything you need. Once on board, relax in one of our stylish lounges, grab a bite in the restaurant, or catch up on some rest in an ensuite cabin. Ah. <sighs> So you're ready for that adventure, wherever it takes you. <laughs> Book your trip to Britain today from €149 Euros car and driver one way at Stanaline.ie. Stanaline, away from the everyday. 100% electric, driven by an impulse, a need to move, to move differently. Cupra is leading the charge to a new way of driving. With the Cupra Born, you can experience electric driving to 100% of its potential. Embrace the birth of a new way of moving. Follow your impulse and go full electric with your own 231 Cupra Born. It's ready, just waiting to be driven today. Search Cupra Official. 
Right past Moscow. I have a few jobs to do. Where are you off to? JJ's appliances in Canturk. I need a light fitting for the hall. JJ's does lighting? <laughs> yeah, for ages now. They have a full showroom with beautiful bits for the whole house, indoor and out. And the staff know their stuff. I've saved money off my energy bills and everything. They kitted me out with new smart bulbs and LEDs. Wow. JJ's Appliances expert lighting showroom Kenturk for indoor, outdoor LEDs and everything in between. Call in and see for yourselves. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And questions, please, for Jane Pickett, our resident vet from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Uh, Jane joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you, and you are very welcome. Uh, somebody wants to know, in very cold weather like this, should you always put a, do- put a coat on a dog when you're going out for a walk? This listener was out this morning and she could see little dogs out having their morning walk and they looked frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think it depends on each individual situation. You know, there's a lot of factors that affect, you know, how well a dog or a cat copes with the cold. And that can be even down to their breed, their hair type, how much body fat they have is a big contributor as well. Sometimes if they have a bit of a layer of flubber, they've got a good kind of internal jacket against the cold. Um, but but not a, not a good reason to, to let them put on fat. I, I would say in this situation, you just need to really keep a close eye on your pet. If you if they are a very light breed, let's say that doesn't have a lot of body fat. For example, I have a little rescue greyhound. She needs a coat because she has no body fat on her. So in that situation, yes. But my other dog is kind of a another hound cross, has a lot more body fat, has longer hair, and she actually copes really, really well in the cold. So I think it just depends on the situation. Be guided by your dog. Be guided by their signals. If they're acting like everything's really, really normal and when they're out for their short walk, don't seem at all bothered and they're happy to go for their usual little run, then they may be coping okay. But if they're a little bit more hesitant, a little bit slower, maybe even kind of showing showing a little sign of kind of anxiousness, then I would say, yeah, consider that they may be cold. Consider some clothing for them then. And I suppose the one really important thing is, you know, the cold mightn't matter so much if they're just out for a short 15, 20 minute walk and they're supervised. But really, in these kinds of temperatures, having them unsupervised outside or kind of, you know, let's say outside around the yard, I'd be a little bit reluctant with it because if they have access to the indoors, they can keep themselves warm. But particularly if they're outside and kind of outside in a shed type situation or if they have a nice outside doghouse, it's really too cold in these temperatures for them to be outside. So I'd really just make sure that they're they're brought inside, particularly in the evenings as it gets really, really chilly. And particularly in cases where they, they may be a little bit older or have a few miles on the clock, they're not great at generating their own body heat. So although, you know, clothing is, clothing is something to think about when they go out for their walk, it's really just important to make sure they always have access to the indoors in these kind of temperatures. Would they start to shiver if they were cold like we would? They can do. Yeah, they can do. Certainly if you see them shivering, they're definitely cold. But sometimes it's a little bit more subtle than that. So their body temperature has to drop quite a bit before they'll start the shivering reflex. So, you know, before they start shivering, which is a sure sign of being too cold, you might see them just looking a little bit shifty, uncomfortable, a little bit unsettled. And that would all kick in when they're feeling the cold, but the shivering reflex hasn't settled in. So that's kind of the time to intervene for them and either bring them back inside or get them a coat on. Okay, Uh, Maureen is having problems with a large breed dog pulling on the lead. He's three years of age, neutered. He's a type of Doberman cross, so he's a big dog, but he's getting stronger. And she's noticed he seems to be getting worse at pulling on the lead. Okay, so I suppose first things first, 
you know, well done for kind of acknowledging that it's an issue. Um, I, I see a lot of dogs out and about pulling their owners around and, you know, it's, it's dangerous for everyone involved. It's dangerous for the dog in case they get loose because they can be quite strong, particularly in bigger breeds. It's dangerous for, dangerous for the owner as well because, you know, they might be toppled by a dog who gets excited and pulls. So, you know, it, it is an issue and it's something that needs to be dealt with and certainly can be dealt with. I would suggest at this stage, getting a qualified dog behaviourist or dog trainer involved. I must admit, there's no particularly easy solution to this one. Now, there's lots of gadgets and gizmos that if you Google this on the internet, will come up as the perfect solution to solve all of your problems. Some of them can help. Some of them are like almost like little shock absorbers built into the leaves that are almost like little bits of bungee cord. But they're not going to solve the problem. They just mean that you're getting less likely less pulling through your hand but it doesn't really make it a lot safer for your pet or for yourself as regards kind of security and safety and um, so i would really suggest you know don't be fooled by the gimmicks on the internet saying that they're going to solve all of your your pulling problems i would get a dog trainer or a behaviorist involved other things you could consider are making them extra secure potentially with a harness as well as a collar and um, that can help a little bit Certainly there are other things on the market that are almost kind of to stopping pulling aids, but one of them is called a halty. And they're just kind of little adapted leads that have a little part that goes over the muzzle. But I would really recommend that if you were going to use those, you do those in tandem with work with a dog trainer or behaviour because they have to be used properly to, to make progress. So best of luck. And it is something that is definitely solvable. I'm sure give it a little time and training. You'll be you'll be having pleasant walks without any pulling. Yeah. It'll just need it. Need and, a and a Doberman cross. That's a big, strong dog. Big, strong dog. And I suppose particularly from a safety perspective, you know, we need to make sure our pets are secure and we need to make sure they can't run off. Um, and, you know, particularly in a big dog like that, you want to make sure it's on secure and on the lead. Um, for everybody's safety but also for yourself so you don't get toppled by them pulling if they get excited Yeah, yeah. Susan in Passage West has a small breed Jack Russell seems to be empty reaching a lot lately Susan describes it like he's almost like he's trying to clear his throat does she need to be worried? Okay Um, if it's a change for your pet I would say yes we need to investigate it. There's no cause for worry just yet, as long as they're otherwise well in themselves, eating, drinking, full of the joys of life and going for their walks. But this is a change and that's not normal behaviour. So there's a few things that could be going on here. If they're kind of doing this empty reaching, sometimes that can be kind of almost like a, a vomit, but there's nothing in the tummy. And sometimes it's actually very easily mistaken for kind of a cough or a hack, which will be to do with the lungs and maybe, I suppose, discharge in the lungs. Either way, I would say it's a change for your pet, so it definitely warrants a visit for the best. Please don't worry just yet as long as your pet is otherwise well. But I think it's best to get ahead of these things and ask now. Keep a keep a little diary for a few days of how often it's happening for your pet, as long as as long as they're otherwise stable and well. Um, so that you have something to bring to your vet as regards, you know, what's happening at home. And even better, try and take a little video of one of the episodes happening so that your vet will be able to see what's going on. And a really important thing to do in this kind of situation when we're trying to tell, well, is it a vomit, is it empty reaching, or is it kind of a hacking cough, is if you can take a full body video of your dog to include their belly, because that can actually give your vet clues. So that would be a really helpful thing yeah. to do. Yeah, because you, you inevitably you get to the vet's practice and they won't do what you want them to do. They won't be coughing or empty reaching at all. Okay, exactly. and finally, Marion has a four-month-old Labrador puppy in the process of house training. How often should she be taking the puppy outdoors uh, to go to the loo? Every two hours at an absolute minimum. Um, and that goes for right into the evening. Obviously, you can't be getting up every two hours overnight. You know, we're not superhuman. 
Um, but what I would suggest is you take your pet out last thing at night before you go to bed, first thing in the morning. And I think it's really important to remember that it's quite likely over, let's say, that six, eight-hour period overnight where they're not out to do their peas and poos, they will have an accident inside. So, you know, obviously we'd like to minimise that because the progress of their toilet training goes much better the more they get it right and the less they kind of get it wrong. So lots of positive encouragement is really important. But, you know, they can't really hold their bladder physically, even if they wanted to, until they're about six months of age. So, you know, providing them with plenty of opportunities to get them right by taking them out at a minimum every two hours and just acknowledging that you might have the odd accident overnight. And that's, that's not their fault. So nothing to scold them about. It's just just their physiology and they're not quite ready to, to be able to hold their pee yet. So best of luck. I'm sure you'll get their consistency is key. OK, listen, best. Have a lovely week and stay warm. And we'll chat you next Thursday. Perfect. Thank Thanks you very much. Bye bye. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And can I just get in one uh, final comment that came in from Joan and from Oi, who comes in defence of people who are critical of those who are not out, out buying their own houses and people saying they should get up and go out to work and not expect everything for free. Uh, Joan says she knows of people that have mortgage of approval, but because house prices are going up so much, somebody might have had house approval for 180,000 and that house has now gone to 290,000. It's impossible for people to a purchase house at the moment it's wrong to generalise got to leave it there Nick next thanks to John Paul talk to today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.